Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Very cool podcast. What antiques were we talking about this week? Well, I was playing on the internet and I remembered something from my childhood. Let's talk about paper dolls. Oh, hell yes. When I say I was playing on the internet, actually, you know, let me be 100%. Honest. I was playing Flight Rising. And as you were dressing up your digital dragons, you were like, hang on, didn't I used to do this in the meat space with paper? Yeah, that was the exact like series of events where I was like, this is fun. And then, yeah, I was just thinking about like, just like the paper Barbies. And then I'm like, whatever happened to paper Barbies? Like a true fucking old person. <laughs> Whatever happened to paper Barbies? So a paper doll is any two-dimensional figure drawn or printed on paper with an accompanying paper clothing or accessories. It turns out a paper doll that does not have a clothing or accessories is not technically a paper doll, but a doll made from paper. Okay. I mean, <laughs> sure. You're not wrong. They are sort of defined by the interchangeability of their clothing. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I follow you on that point. It's just, it's not a paper doll. It's just a doll made from paper. Well, yeah. I understand why the definition <laughs> is useful and necessary, but it is still very funny. That's what we're bringing you here. Comedic antiques and collectibles definitions? Yeah. I guess that was our entire last episode, wasn't it? With the fucking Sailor's Word book. You know what? In retrospect, I should shut my mouth. No, we've got like a bunch of episodes where that's kind of what we do. Over time, the definition has opened up slightly to include any other 2D material that includes plastic, cloth. I consider cardboard paper, but I think some other people don't or wood. So are there people who consider cardboard not paper, but wood yes paper? No. Okay, just checking. No, I just found a lot of contention about whether or not cardboard should be referred to separately from the original paper. Global history actually does include many, 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 many instances of cut paper figures. In fact, it's very important to a variety of different kinds of theaters, such as Balinese theater. Like shadow puppets? Yeah, I believe Balinese and Japanese theater both have sections where shadow puppets are like a whole art form. And as time went on, we have the introduction of pontines around 1700s Rococo France. And these were sort of like lacquered paper jumping jack figures with jointed limbs that were manipulated as puppets. These were used as, I think all things at this point in France were used to mock the upper class and royalty. Just like puppet history. Just like puppet history. <laughs> I mean, puppet history is following a rich puppet history. Oh. Yeah. Of questioning, educating, and playful mocking to teach important lessons. If you haven't seen it, check out Puppet History on Watcher. It's delightful. Also in the 1700s, there were flat hand-painted fashion figures that dressmakers would use to display things that they could make but didn't feel like making unless you were going to pay them. Fair enough. <laughs> so they would have these drawings of dresses that they were confident they could construct but did not have any interest in doing so <laughs> at the moment. Spec work, if you will. Yeah. But the first commercial paper doll was manufactured in 1810, published by S.N.J. Fuller in London, and she was called The History of Little Fanny. And I'm assuming the slang term of Fanny came about after this, otherwise it would be weird. You know what? Still weird. Little Fanny was actually a paper doll with little cut-out paper dresses and an accompanying chapbook that told a story. It was a morality play in verse about a girl named Fanny who has a tantrum when she isn't allowed to wear her favorite pretty dress, and she runs away from home, where she is robbed, stripped naked, and forced to become a beggar. And at this point in the story, you would dress her up in a little separate beggar's outfit. 
cute, right? For fun. The story continues with her working hard to make her way back up in people's good graces while earning appropriate clothes for doing deliveries and such until she is reunited with her family and her final costume is a sensible dress and a book because now she's a good girl. This was made at a place called the Temple of Fancy in Rathbone Place. Oh, England. Yeah, thank you, London. I read that that was where the publishing house was and I couldn't leave it out. Y'all had to know about the Temple of Fancy in Rathbone. The first American paper doll copied it pretty much exactly with a chapbook and dress-up doll called The History and Adventures of Little Henry in 1812 by J. Belcher of Boston. This one's more racist. The child is stolen by the Romani. And his adventures include a bunch of little job outfits. He becomes a sailor and I think eventually becomes like a little corporal or something ridiculous like that because they wanted to put him in that. And then the end is just that he's a very good sailor. He doesn't ever go back to his family, so fun story. After this, everyone kind of wanted a piece of this paper pie. I mean, they are ridiculously cheap to manufacture and distribute, so like, pure profit. Yep, especially with the advent of chromolithography. Oh, now we're getting colorful. Yeah. Previously, paper dolls would be printed in a variety of areas, but they would be black and white, and the idea was sort of to treat them as a coloring book. With chromolithography, they were gorgeous and multicolored and rich. Kids these days are too good to color their own paper dolls. Lazy. Chromolithography does all the work for them. They learn nothing. (laughs) Chromolithography also brought about what would become a staple in paper dolls. Dolls modeled after famous people. The very first we know about is Swedish ballet star Mary Taglioni, who I didn't know about until this, and a bunch of her elaborate ballet outfits. Later, dolls would go on to model the German royal family, the House of Windsor, and a variety of stage actresses at the time. And nothing would change as time marched on. If you take a quick look at the number of Princess Diana paper dolls that exist, people just really glommed onto that. Paper dolls made their debut in magazines in 1859 in the Godey's Lady Book, and went on to be published in Ladies' Home Journal and Good Housekeeping, Good Housekeeping being one of the hottest and most frequent publisher of occasional paper dolls in their periodicals. 1900s sort of ramped up. People kind of saw the cheap and easy production of paper dolls and used them as an advertising ploy. Sometimes dolls related to what they were selling, sometimes not at all. You would get clothing companies, bakers, chocolate, Ford cars, swan soap. Did the Ford cars one come with a little paper car for the dolls to drive in? No, it did come with like a motoring outfit. If you're not going to give them a tiny paper car, what is the point? That was my thought too. I thought you would print the latest model of Ford and have her be all fashionable inside it. Yeah. They're lazy is what all I can think of. Just like the kids with their lithograph paper dolls. Good gracious. What's next? They're going to refuse to cut them out? I mean, that is next, yeah. (laughs) That is is next. Die cut paper dolls. Children don't even need to use scissors. Actually, die cut paper dolls, they didn't really take off as much. No? Even contemporary paper dolls, a lot of them are still cut out yourself. I guess that is cheaper. And even the ones I remember playing with had die cut dolls, but the clothing was still had to be cut on its own. Very famously, as an advertising doll, we introduce the character of Betsy McCall. A paper doll published by McCall's Magazine, used to advertise, Ken, do you want to take a guess? McCall? McCall clothing patterns. Oh, I knew that name sounded familiar. Yeah, so they would have these little dolls to entertain the children when Mother was done with the housekeeping magazine, and the dolls would be dressed up in all sorts of delightful fashions that you could purchase at any retailer that sold McCall's patterns. 
Now that's actually smart. Much smarter than whatever the fuck Ford is doing. Yeah, or Baker's Chocolate. A lot of advertising dolls actually ended up taking the cereal box tack and just started putting paper dolls in strange adult products so that your children would badger you to buy a specific brand so they could complete a set. Uh-huh. There was a set that was sold in Lion's Coffee, which I thought was funny because do not give children coffee. Why not? <laughs> it's a literal drug. And? Babies shouldn't do drugs. <laughs> now, you're saying a lot of words here. I know. We, we introduce a lot of like really hot, crazy takes on the podcast. And today, I want to say, I don't think babies should do drugs. Vote now. Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> do you agree or not? And the actual conclusion to this was newspaper paper dolls. One thing I could not figure out is if newspaper paper was less thin at the time, because that seems like a miserable little paper doll personally, but maybe I'm just being judgy. I mean, if you have a miserable little kid. <laughs> well, I guess that's one way. I mean, poverty's a thing. Like, if your kid can only afford a newspaper paper doll, like... Well, it's funny you should mention that, because there's one period of American time where newspaper dolls flourished. Was it the Great Depression? <laughs> it began in the Great Depression. <laughs> Incredible. Actually, as the 1930s through the 1950s were considered the golden age of paper dolls because there was so much economic strife that like a lot of work was put into paper dolls because they were still allowed to be printed and they were extremely cheap for the consumers. One of my favorite facts about before tabs were added to paper dolls, so like kind of cycling way back, is the clothing would be attached with beeswax drops. Huh. Yeah, it was easy to remove and it didn't grease stain paper. That's smart. Paper dolls would decline in popularity around the late 1960s and into the 70s, with many people, so many people, blaming Barbie. Barbie actually did get in on the paper doll fad, but with the advent of reasonably affordable 3D dolls to practice all of your little fashion aspirations on, paper dolls just kind of seemed less exciting and fell off. Until American Girl Magazine. Did they have paper dolls? Oh, yeah. I got a set of like 20 that I kept. They're my Barbie lunchbox. Nice. But yeah, every month you get a new American girl in paper doll form. You just rip her out of the magazine, punch out all of her clothes. You made that sound so violent. Is it not? I mean... Something something women's bodies as a commodity trickling down through the economy into dolls and therefore paper dolls in fashion? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like... I mean, that's kind of the backbeat of all fashion-based toys and collectibles, right? <laughs> Sorry, I was just possessed by a women's history professor. Yeah. Hey, could you like turn to that ghost and sort of tell, tell them to go to the light? <laughs> go to the light. It's going to be okay. Well, I'm sorry about fashion dolls. In addition to American Girl, which I did not know did paper dolls, actually, that's really cute. Yeah. Especially considering God knows at the time none of us could afford those do real dolls. No one can afford the real dolls. I'm not sure they even make them. I have this one TikTok of a little girl being extremely snotty in one of their stores, so I think she might own one. They're for the Veruca salts of the world? Yeah. I think I know more about American Girl dolls than you do. Brag, why don't you? No, no, no. That's what the little girl <laughs> said to an adult working at the American Doll store. That's why it's like my favorite TikTok. Wow. Yeah, she's like a nine and like she's arguing with an adult and like frankly, shame on that adult. And the little girl's statement is, um, I think I know more about American Girl dolls than you do, honey. And she's like nine. And it's extremely funny. I know it's not good to reward bad behavior, but arrogant children are hilarious. <laughs> They're so funny. It's just like you don't even have a complete brain yet, and yet you know everything. And you're so up in your head about it. Like You got kneecaps six years ago, and yet here you are. <laughs> <laughs>
You can't tell them that because then they'd be flexing their kneecaps, talking about how much better they are than your old kneecaps. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess I shouldn't talk. Their kneecaps still have cartilage. There was actually a little kid that was very proud of the fact that he was faster than me after I was injured and had to limp around the shop. After your ankle got shattered into three pieces and had to be reconstructed with metal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shock of shocks, an actual child was faster than you. <laughs> yeah, well, he was very pleased with the fact. <laughs> His mom seemed very embarrassed I just thought it was very funny. Well, here's the thing. It is. Because it's very funny. (laughs) It's very funny. I was also going to drag into repopularizing paper dolls the American artist Tom Tierney. Tom Tierney. Dare I call him a gay icon? Oh, we salute. Yep. He was a fashion illustrator who eventually turned his passion to making paper dolls and really focused on reviving the art throughout the 70s to the 90s and beyond until his death in 2014. He made paper dolls of, good God, everything you could imagine with a particular focus on historical fashion. Oh, hell yes. And I think a lot of people, their concept of paper dolls might actually begin with Tom Tierney's dolls because they are a mixture of prevalent and gorgeous. Actually, all of the paper dolls I own as an adult are Tom Tierney dolls whose fashions I just found extremely arresting. He also did a paper doll of Pope John Paul II, which I am told it does not sell very well. Shocker. But that just struck me as so odd. I wanted to let everyone know that you can get a fashion dress up doll of Pope John Paul II. Okay, I'm honestly surprised it's not selling better because I feel like a queer creator selling something as purely kitsch as a paper doll of the Pope should be like rolling in money like Scrooge McDuck. It should be his most popular, right? I for one am baffled. Yeah, same. But like the Airte fashion seemed to be his most popular. Oh, fine. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of tell through his illustration that he has a deep, deep, deep love of uh, historical fashion. It's really cool. You know, check it out online. The art's gorgeous. He was also a top illustrator for Barbie and Gem books, including paper dolls, as it were. And the number of gay men I know personally who just really imprinted on Gem. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, she's truly outrageous. Truly, truly, truly outrageous. So... I bet you, like me, after reading all this stuff, want to return to the childhood haven of paper dolls, yes? Sure. Okay. (laughs) For the sake of argument, yes. (laughs) I am just real quick reminded of the Cottingly Fairy hoax and how that began with paper dolls to an extent because it was the girls copying illustrations out of fashion magazines, cutting them up and propping them on sticks to photograph. Those are absolutely paper dolls. Thus ensnaring the author of Sherlock Holmes in their web of deceit. (laughs) What can't paper dolls do, my friends? (laughs) Anything's possible with the power of paper dolls. It's true. In fact, one of the hottest areas of paper doll collection is what you call catalog dolls, which are not printed at all, but are basically just made from department store catalogs. Oh, you just cut out the clothes from the catalogs and collage them onto a doll? Yeah, you'd cut out a model and then try to find clothes that more or less lined up with the pose. And make it yourself. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, there's a lots of examples of these where it's a perhaps a catalog figure and then like tissue paper clothes fashioned whole cloth. It's really cool. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a really interesting like historical view of children and how they played. That's very cool. The other like big thing with collecting them yourself is deciding if you care about cut versus uncut. And I just realized how that sounded. Uh-huh. Sure did. But that's really how most collectors refer to it, so I'm not going to retract it. Sure did sound like that, yep. Tell me more about cut versus uncut, D. What's your preference? I mean, I prefer cut because the joy of them is the playing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I can't I can't carry on like this. I got to come up with synonyms. Um, <laughs> too late. Here we are. <laughs> We've divided our paper doll store into cut and uncut models. Pick an aisle. <sighs> so most purist collectors do, of course, prefer uncut sheets. But I would argue that I don't care, which I think is a strong argument because it concerns me and only me. <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> It's just about condition. The ones that haven't been snipped or played with are just more valuable because what a rarity. That's that's basically it. They're preserved better. The same thing with like mint condition baseball cards and what have you. Yeah. The ones that have been snipped out tend to be played with, which just sort of tends to mean that their quality and condition has been degraded. These paper dolls were never stuck into the spokes of anyone's bicycle. Yeah. Although some surviving examples were very meticulously kept despite having been played with. There are not lots of very neat little children out there. I was not one of them, but they exist. Tiny, fastidious children with brand new kneecaps. <laughs> the other like really high-end area for collecting is any of the hand-painted ones. Both hand-painted artwork that has been copied through lithography and painted by the child. Even the high-end doesn't seem to be super expensive. When we're talking hand-painted, intact, uncut dolls, the max is coming up on $500, which in the world of antiques is not that high. In the world of antiques, that's nothing. Yeah. Other things that can affect collectability are size. Around the turn of the century, you would find, and I don't know why they made these, but they were called penny-sized paper dolls. They were meant to be colored in by hand, and they were maybe three inches tall. Wild guess as to why they're valuable. You say you don't know why they made these. I know exactly why they made these, and it's the same reason they make Polly Pocket. Oh, just tiny, love tiny thing. Tiny thing, small, love it. Tiny thing, extremely good. Tiny thing, always better. Can you make the thing tinier? Do it. (laughs) That's a a compelling argument, actually. (laughs) Also, it's probably cheaper to print something on less paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make way more of them. But also, so tiny. (laughs) Just tiny. Tiny. They tend to be really collectible and like slightly more valuable strictly because anything that tiny is very hard, even the most meticulous child would have a hard time not destroying it while playing, in my opinion. That just means they have to buy more. Kind of like how when you drop Polly Pocket down the radiator vent, you gotta go get another one. That sounded really specific, Ken. <laughs> no reason. That's a lie. We didn't get a new one. She was eventually retrieved by a brave soul who unscrewed the radiator vent and retrieved her. And we learned a valuable lesson about gravity. And the size of Polly Pocket. Yes. God, I miss Polly Pocket. I mean, she's still there. No, she's not. No, she's like $70 a case. She is not. I know because I've sold some and I did not get $70 for them. (laughs) Other collectibles kind of are based on like really popular artists or publishing houses. In particular, the Raphael Tuck publishing house, which made really gorgeous paper dolls, but the building was destroyed. And alongside it, all of their printing plates. Oh no! I couldn't find out why the 1940 edition of Gone with the Wind paper dolls is like a lot of people's grails. I think that they're not particularly pretty, but then again, I also don't like Gone with the Wind. Well, what do we know about racist antiques? Tasteless people want them for some reason. Yes. I can't wait until everyone just collectively gets the fuck over Gone with the Wind and puts it in the bonfire where it belongs. It's not good is the thing. It's not good. Even if by some miracle it weren't deeply racist, it's not a good book. I think the only valuable thing ever imparted was that one kind of lamp. Like people were like, that lamp's pretty dope, actually. But also, I wish people would call them hurricane lamps instead of coming into my fucking shop talking about Gone with the Wind. And the lamp existed before the movie. That's why it was in the movie. Anyway, uh, with all respect given 
Get over it. With zero respect given, get over it. Move on. In a related matter, actually, one of the hottest collectible areas for paper dolls is non-racist paper dolls of characters of color depicted in a non-derogatory way, which is depressingly, but not surprisingly, very rare. Although, lots of examples do exist. Especially when you are looking into the 60s and 70s with more people of color breaking into the art market. Nice. I also really liked Invaluable Source which was opdag.com or the original paper doll artist guild in their tips for collecting paper dolls they'd say we caution you when buying from general antiques dealers who do not specialize in paper as they often have inflated ideas of the value of fairly contemporary paper dolls or the gall to sell you a reproduction as an original item how very dare which leads to my next point reproductions are actually sort of both not hard to spot in the wild they tend to be marked pretty clearly or at least in materials that are immediately identified as not normal for the time it would have originally been printed. But they're so easy to reproduce because they're paper. (laughs) Because they're paper. And we got really good at archiving paper. But most of them are marked, you know, with copyright and printing pages that will tell you the story. There's enough of a market for reproductions as reproductions just because it's cool to own a piece of that history and be able to see it for what it was and perhaps engage with it and play and learn through that. Correct. Whereas like... The cost, or rather, the sale price of a genuine antique paper doll is not really high enough to justify trying to fool people with these reproductions. Correct. This is probably the avenue of collectibles that has one of the more favorable attitudes towards reproductions. As long as they're sold and labeled exactly as such, a lot of people do genuinely use them as ways to fill out their collections. If there's something that they can't reasonably get, but that they do want to have, just for the joy of looking at, as you said, Reproduction's a great, inexpensive option. And so many of them have passed out of copyright that it's also completely legal. Oh, hey! Convenient. A lot of paper doll collectors are very exacting about which reproductions are and are not respecting a copyright. Now, the care and keeping of paper dolls is somewhat more exacting than other collectibles you might be interested in. Because of the mold and the water and the fire and the moths and the book bugs? Yes, I've worked with books for a long time, and I was shocked to find out that paper doll enthusiasts do advocate for mildew, mold, and bug infestations to microwave the paper. Does that do anything? Yeah, it kills bugs and mildew pretty quickly. The internet told me that ants were too small to be affected by microwaves. Ants usually don't infest paper either. But if ants are not affected by microwaves because of their size... I can't imagine anything smaller than an ant would be affected. I didn't really get into the science of it, but you make a very good point. This is all anecdotal based on people with paper doll collections that claim that this solved their problems with, like, silverfish and stuff. If you're good at science, can you give us a reason an ant would be meaningfully different from, say, an insect egg in smallness not being able to be microwaved? Or is it all just an internet fluff? Do you know literally anything about science? Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. A lot of care and keeping is sort of basic and things a lot of people know by now, which is using archival materials, which is items that are acid-free. And also getting your hideous finger oils away from the paper. Archival materials are my number one way to get my horrible finger oils off of things. That can be as simple as just like binder sleeves that are archival and acid-free. A quick hint, by the way, if it stinks, it's not actually archival and they're lying to you. So what you're saying is I need to huff that paper. You gotta huff your archival papers and plastics. Get to it. Get to it. Take a sniff. But yeah, framing them, if you're so inclined, absolutely have to get a mat. In no way, shape, or form should any old thing be pressed directly to glass 
with no airflow. You want the air in between the thing and the glass. Yeah, because it'll it'll filter out humidity. Oh. Matting is not just for good looks. It's to allow airflow. I have learned so much today. Then this podcast is doing its job. <laughs> <laughs> By teaching the host. Hey, we teach each other stuff all the time. And God willing, someone's going to teach me about microwaving bugs. <laughs> So I can do it more effectively. The other thing that actually I had not thought of, which does bring me shame as someone who handles books all the time, leaving crescent or V-shaped marks from thumbing through the book. Yeah, get your filthy paws off it. What I've got to do is I've got to examine my habits. We all benefit from that. But the Paper Doll Artist Guild helpfully suggests, when you thumb through a paper doll book, hold it in the flat of your hand. Turn the pages one by one. When you lift a print, use two hands or at least several fingers under the back before lifting. If it's a large print, use your whole arm to lift. Who is not doing this? Lots of people. Lots and lots of people. It's a hard habit to form if you don't already have They're it. They're monsters. Oh, well, a lot of people are used to handling cheap trade paperbacks and things like that. Stuff that doesn't really matter how you handle it. Right. But this object is very clearly not in that category. It's an antique. You handle it carefully by default. In theory, but like I said, if you're not accustomed to doing that, it's very hard to turn that part of your brain back on. Get out of my store! I've seen plenty of rare book dealers and people who should know otherwise also doing handling paper in a very, very frivolous ways. Get out of your own store! Get it's my store own, now! Get out, get out of it, walk out of your ephemeral store, hand the keys to Ken, it's his now. For fuck's sake! I'm not saying you're wrong, but I do want to extend sympathy just because I know these habits don't come natural sometimes. Sympathy revoked. Get your shit together. Okay, Ken doesn't want you to have any of that. So I guess our real uh, advice would be get your shit together. (laughs) Oh, and this is my favorite piece of advice for any paper good. Markings with pencil or crayon, even other kinds of scuffs and mildew that is no longer actively growing because it's been reintroduced to a dry environment. White kneadable eraser is your king your lover. It is? If you want to do that specifically, yes. You can also use a product that you can obtain all over the web called Abzerine, which is a very specific paper cleaner for absorbing dust and also helps get off stuff. Is Abzerine also my lover? Are they vying for my affections? I will say that I care for John deeply, but he doesn't clean my books the way Abzerine does. <laughs> and that's where I'll leave it. Well, you heard it here first, folks. I mean, Abzerine is basically just a kind of kneadable rubber eraser. It's just very, very soft. Abzerine, you're so good to me. Now, if you're wondering why that tune was unrecognizable, that's because I realized halfway through singing it, I couldn't remember the song I was parodying. Yeah, I think that was an original Ken jam just now. (laughs) You don't ever have to admit that you forgot the song. It's just now your personal mashup. There we go. This is a remix. It's not that I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm a composer. You're pulling the fucking remix. I'm a singer-songwriter, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, like Cat Stevens. Morning has broken. That hymnal-stealing whore. (laughs) Hymnal-stealing slut. (laughs) As for the money side of things, like I said before, when I was talking about the extremely popular Gone with the Wind paper dolls, I looked on eBay and found that the common selling price was just a hundred bucks, which is kind of small potatoes if that's your upper limit. There was also the model Twiggy paper dolls, and boy is the art not my favorite. No. The most expensive one I found was a 1902 Dr. Miles paper doll. That one was selling for about $400. It seems like celebrities and recognizable figures, depending on saturation, tend to continue to make the most bank. 
And what I thought was fun is that you can get like $12 a page if you have vintage magazines and you carefully cut out the page with the dolls on it and sell those. Hot tip. If you're more interested in the art than the dolls themselves, I recommend Mary Young's book, Paper Dolls and Their Artists. You'll learn a lot of fun things about the artists and there's a lot of gorgeous art and you don't have to deal with collecting. Yay! Sources for today include opdag.com, slate.com, the hidden gay history of paper dolls, museumblog.winterthur.org, the history of little paper dolls, victoriana.com, paper dolls, womenshistory.org, paper dolls and popular culture. That's how the professor possessed me. Yeah, that's how you got there. I'm sorry. That's on me. I invited that in. You gotta put the Ouija board over to goodbye. I gotta say goodbye. Every time. You gotta end the session every time. This is how this keeps happening. Oh, God. Every time. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) At least it wasn't Zozo. Thank God. Collectorsweekly.com. The Scrappy History of Paper Dolls. Very good title. Bookandpaperfairs.com. Tracing History and Fashion Through Paper Dolls. Journalofantiques.com. Paper Dolls Fashion Culture. And WilsonMuseum.org. Volume 429. Blaze it. So mote it be. If you would like to show us your own paper dolls or just want to say hello, you can email us directly antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you liked hearing about small, flat people, consider scrolling on down wherever you were listening to this podcast and leaving us a review. Or if the app you're using to listen to this podcast does not allow for reviews, consider posting about us on social media or telling a real-life friend. Or going to the mall and screaming from the fountain. That's just for fun. About our podcast, not in general. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's just fun. (laughs) People won't find out about us if you do that, but you'll probably feel better after. If you would like more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesweeks, where every week we are reading and reviewing a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.